and you're listening to CITR F102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And who do we have in the studio today? Who are you? My name is Jamie Clay, or J2000. And Jamie, who have you brought with you? Well, I've brought... Um, Could my... you please introduce them? Okay. Uh, to my left is uh, Mr. Supreme Echo, who has just uh, re-released the Private School EP, the 40th Anniversary Edition, and uh, the magnificent drummer from Private School, Walter Makaroff. Hello, Jason and Walter! Hello. Hello. If you could move a bit closer to the mic, I'd appreciate that. I deemed you. Was it uh, George Harrison and Paul McCartney? And I am, of course, Ringo. And we have John Lennon here as well. But we began the show with private school. What happened there, Jason? What happened with private school? What happened? Why are you back here? Actually, <laughs> you are a constant figure on the Nardwarda Human Serviette radio show. Who are you, first off? Su- Supreme Echo. You know, how many times have you been on my show? Ooh, well, in, as Supreme Echo, or should we go really back to the roots? In the new millennium. The new millennium. I'm going to say this is the third time I might be wrong. It. We've had many a good time together. I was here for the Zealots. I called in when we did the Wasted Lives one. What was before that? The dish rags as well. Okay, I've lost count. And that was in the old studio too, right? That was. The old CITR. But you are part of Supreme Oak Echo Records. That's right. Who re-released, Jamie, the brand new... Private School EP. The Private School EP. What did we hear there? Did we hear any difference from that song? Because that song originally was on the Vancouver Complication record. Did we hear any difference? What, what has been improved? Well, it's been remastered. And it's been remastered from the original uh, master tape, which had not suffered any deterioration particularly. It needed, it needed a little bit of tidying up. But uh, now all the Supreme Alco records are, are remastered professionally by an old punk rocker from Manchester, UK, named Audu Obai. And he does a phenomenal job. So this is the most optimized version of these these songs you'll ever hear. And Jason, who was Private School? You have brought with you Jamie and Walt. Who are these guys? <laughs> well, these are some really ta- talented guys that were a part of a particularly and, and don't eclectic tell me group. It's the first time you met them in no, person. No, 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 no. Because some of the people you reissue the first time you meet them is actually when you see them on my show. Yeah, well, no, no, we've been romancing this for a while. This has been a slow brew. And uh, it's been well worth the effort with the details. Yeah. So we had some conversations. Who were private school? Well, Jamie, who were private school? Who was private school? Private school was uh, one of the uh, bands in Vancouver, uh, the early uh, punk new wave roots in Vancouver. Uh, We are basically born in 1978. And uh, we have uh, Walter and I have stories about how we joined and we were a little bit different because uh, we had a saxophone, uh, which I played, and uh, we were kind of on the R&B punk side, which was a little bit unusual for that time. We heard Rock and Roll Radio, which has some sax. I've always been fascinated by that song because who was in private school exactly? Who are the members? Of course, Jamie and Walt, but who else is in private school? So Jamie... Uh, played sax, uh, Walter played drums, we had Dave Gregg uh, on guitar, and Tony Falk on bass, and also 
uh, Ron Nelson vocals. And Maddie. And Maddie, yes, Maddie on vocals and violin. And Walt, I was curious, on that particular track that we played, Private School Rock and Roll Radio, was Dave Gregg singing it all? I think he was on there. Like, both of us were adding vocals, backing vocals, and Dave liked to sing. So, yeah. Because I always thought that Dave Gregg was on lead vocals. Does Dave Gregg kind of have a similar voice to Ron Nelson? No. No, okay. He he always deferred uh, to Ron to do the the vocals, even when he wrote some of his own material. So on the rock and roll radio track that we heard, there was no Dave Gregg at all. Was there really the high vocals? Ooh, that's Walter, uh, Maddie, Ron, and Dave. Uh, was there any vocals in uh, in the verse, like no. rock and roll radio? That part? No. Now you have completely debunked me. After years <laughs> of listening to that record, I thought that was actually at least partly Dave Gregg singing. There are a number of other vocal parts by other people. Like it's just recently been brought up that actually T- Tony sings some of the yeah, stuff as Tony, well. Tony Falk. Yeah. Now you, Jason, are kind of like a metalhead because when I first encountered <laughs> you, you were into punk and metal. You know, can I please explain the mid '90s? Mexican power Thor. Oh, well, that was grindcore. I like everything. Like, I don't just like punk and metal. I mean, it's just that the period that I was introduced to underground music is when those two were really melding and crossing over. So the metal bands were being inspired by punk and vice versa. Uh, now, how did you get attracted to re-releasing Private School? Was it because Dave Gregg of DOA was involved? No. I always thought it's no. Dave Gregg's band and you loved metal and you loved punk and that's why you reissued it, right? <laughs> no. Okay. No. I mean, the Dave Gregg connection is like probably the easiest selling factor, but that's not what, oh, what so makes me did. do these things. So, no. It, no. How, did you, how I, did you regard in past private school? And a very elusive record, a record that I had but without a cover. I didn't know a lot about the band. Every song in the record is different. It's very eclectic, which is a dangerous word for more conservative-minded people. But for me, I really liked that they were really showing so many flavors, you know. But this oversized cover, which, you know, has this collectability factor, but also... But that ties in to Dave Gregg, because yeah. didn't Dave Gregg work at a printing press? Ah. Yes. And that's why your record, the private school record is printed in an uh, envelope as That's well right. as the Brain Eaters yes. record as yes. well as Snot Rag Fanzine when they yes. did a color cover. Yep. They were well, all done. See, I didn't even know that. Yep. Well, well, I think I think Dave Gregg did a lot of the early punk posters. I all mean, the posters, He was a yep. one-man sort of machine for, yep. for promoting He'd stay the gigs. late after, after hours and do all the bands. Well, yeah. What was it like to have an actual printer in the band? That is like amazing, a printer. How did, you know, the record come out? Like Dave said, I can do the cover we don't have to do regular cover yeah no it was really handy and it was really great and gave uh, everybody sort of an artistic uh, creative uh, idea uh, to, to kind of push the envelope a bit because basically it really didn't cost us anything and walter the drummer of private school and we're speaking here to private school from vancouver british yes. columbia canada circa 1978 reissued by supreme Green echo Neko. and you have some events coming up too don't you uh, yes. Jason. Yeah, so t- tomorrow, uh, 
I can barely keep up today. So tomorrow at Neptune, we're going to be there, for, I think, from 1 p.m. to about 2.30. Maybe we'll hang out a bit longer than that. Yep. Neptune is really the heart of uh, the record release in-store event. And then that evening, we'll uh, mosey on over to What's Up Hot Dog on East Hastings. We'll be there a bit after 7. So the music's going to really get started around 8 p.m. And uh, DJ Jeffrey McCloy will be there DJing a assortment of punk rock and power pop and new wave amidst the private school uh being played and uh we invite everybody down and records are going to be available at both places uh the cheapest price ever will be at neptune tomorrow they're going to be sold at neptune for 16 dollars for just this one day it's a double seven inch ep and then thereafter they go up in price walter you are the drummer of private school yes i am what is it like to take off your shirt? You weren't afraid <laughs> to take off your shirt, were you? Yeah, that uh, video that we did, um, Dave, uh, Dave and I had to go shirtless, and I think the only one who had his shirt on uh, was Ronnie, and uh, and uh, he was wearing a leather jacket, and, of course, Maddie was wearing clothes. But uh, I still get ribbed a lot about, you know, the shirtless one. Well, actually, I think in that video, Tony has his shirt off as well. You're right. So We're all shirtless. And yep. there are quite a few. Um, actually, people can check out right now the private school on YouTube because that video is up there. Type in private school. Vancouver. Well, how should people find you on YouTube? Because you type in private school. I know. It, uh, private it's, school band or private school it, punk. Private school music. Vancouver, and then you'll, you'll get and something. Power. And yeah. Money, Guns, and Power. Yeah. And you will see you guys taking off your shirts and this <laughs> giving her, this giving her. Uh, Jamie, you also are not in that video, are you? I'm not in that video, no. And and if I was in that video, I'm not sure if I would have taken my shirt off. I suppose uh, they'd probably uh, put a gun to my head and say, okay, a shirt off or you're not in the video. But I had left by then. And I am curious about you because... James Earl Clay was a saxophonist. From Texas, yeah. And you are a... A saxophonist. From... Vancouver. British... Columbia. Canada. So how does that relate? Like, you having the same name as a famous saxophonist. Have you been ever confused with James Earl Clay? When I uh, talked to a bunch of jazz guys uh, back in the day, we'd shake hands and, and, what's your name? My name is uh, Jamie Clay. And there it was. It was like, oh, okay, so you know there's a really famous saxophone player with the same name. And I said, well, yeah, James Clay. But, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's no longer here, and he was a great sax player, a tenor from Texas, you know, the Texas Titan. And uh, so, yep, uh, I'm proud to share a name with that guy. Walter, did anybody else in Vancouver have saxophone in their band? No. In in in. In, in truth, it took uh, the punk community a little bit of uh, a tasting session to get to get into a private school because, I mean, it was so different, the lineup. I mean, it wasn't the standard guitar, bass, drums. We had sax and we had violins. So, I mean, sax and violins, huh? It doesn't get better than that. Did anybody else have kind of like such a 60s vibe? I guess the point is Sticks kind of had a 60s vibe, but do you think you kind of had a 60s vibe for the music? I guess you could call it that. I mean, um, 
Speaking of pointed sticks, uh, the original bass player was Tony Bardock, and I remember the day he came into rehearsal and said he was leaving uh, to join the Pointed Sticks. Another uh, PS band. Uh, yes, another PS, yeah. yeah, another PS. He was moving from one PS to the other. This is not a straight reissue, is it, Jason? This is not a straight reissue, is it? Well, it's it's revised. Um, we have shrunk down the, uh, can I just be brutally honest, somewhat awkwardly oversized original cover, which really made it difficult, you know, for record stores, they didn't know, really know where to put it. So the first thing was I said, look... And I, is that I, why your copy doesn't have a cover? <laughs> <laughs> it has a cover, but it does not have a huge envelope. Yeah. Uh, you the know, original it w- copy. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, excuse me. Yeah. I didn't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be- I think really they often got lost because nobody knew where to fit them and put them unless they were smart enough to fold them over, which obviously whoever had mine previously to me didn't do it. Yeah, so what we've done is we've shrunk down the cover, and what we've done is we've added to the 7-inch, we've added the track that appeared on Vancouver Complication, Rock and Roll Radio, and then we've added a bonus yellow flexi disc, which has two unreleased tracks. So you have the entire recorded repertoire of Private School. A flexi disc. Why a flexi disc? Because flexi disc rule. And because Jamie, you <laughs> love flexi discs. I'm a right? flexi kind of guy. Yeah. What made you think of doing a flexi for Warsaw way back when in 1980? I had the idea because uh, I was looking at uh, old 1950s magazines and industrial magazines, and they would always, some of them would include a flexi disc of a product trying to uh, sell you or a lecture of some industrial magnet that was um, trying to promote himself. And I thought, this is a really great thing. If I had my way, that Warsaw Flexi uh, would have been inside a magazine. So it's amazing. You didn't have to convince at all, did you, Jason? Because Jamie knew the genius of having a Flexi. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's an audio-carrying medium. If you want perfection... You can download the damn thing. Vinyl has surface noise, just like real Is life. Is it any cheaper? To they do actually flexi? no. They're actually these are direct metal mastered, so they're they're superior to original flexies. You know, it's a plastic. Vinyl is the quietest um, uh, plastic that you can you can use. You know, they took time to figure this out. So this plastic that's used, it's some kind of PVC. It's it's a little different, and it has surface noise to it. Um, but we had to keep the package as light as possible, too. You know, I have to keep this, uh, I have to consider weight because, you know, a lot of these copies will sell in Vancouver, but a lot of them are going to go around the world. And weight's always a concern because Canada Post is, you know, Well, I would expensive. rather have a flexi mm. and an amazing booklet. The booklet, what do you think about the booklet that Jason has done? Uh, that Jamie has done. Sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, it's, uh, well, I can tell you it was 20. Well, Jamie, what do you think of the booklet that you did the entire booklet? Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's. The, you the, laid it out? Yeah. I battled with him. Yeah. It's, really? It oh, was, you didn't, you let, didn't do this, Jason. But Jason usually has a booklet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, Amazing! Could you explain about the booklet? This yeah, is yeah. This this booklet was originally twenty four pages. It's now down to twelve pages. And Jason said, "We got to cut it. We got to cut it. We got. It's not going to fold. It's not going to fit. We got two other records in the package. It's not going to be mailed." I was down to sixteen, and I said, "That's it. I can't cut anything else out of it." I mean, it, it's got the whole private school history in this uh, magnificent booklet. And he said, "It's twelve pages or nothing." So I got it down to twelve pages, including all the pictures. And on the back, there's uh, Scott a, a, Beetle. 
Uh, Scott, uh, shout out to Scott Beetle for doing the the family tree of private school in the it's back. It's like the entire history of Vancouver punk rock in a booklet, pretty right much. There. In right your there. booklet, yes. amazing. And right now we're gonna hear a couple tracks from the record. What are we gonna hear right now? We're gonna hear "Fuck You" and "Money, Guns, and Power." What can you say about "Fuck You"? Well, this song is not the DOA version or the Subhumans uh, uh, Vancouver Band's version. Even this, though you had Dave Gregg in your band. Even though you had Dave Gregg. Did Dave Gregg like the song Fuck You? And did he ever make reference to doing a song called Fuck You before he joined the band that did Fuck You? No, but uh, by the time he was uh, up and running with the band and his eye was towards DOA, he, that's why he loved this song because it's very punk rock. And this song was written by Tony Falk, our, our black bass player. Uh, but bless you, Tony, wherever you are. Love you. Love the well, song. Was he the first kind of person of color involved in Vancouver punk rock? Absolutely. There was nobody else. The, the people after him. Lest we forget David Pemberton, wherever he is. Who did he play for? He played with David Raven and the Escorts, and he did a solo 45, which is proper punk rock. And uh, was He that? sings on it. It's 1980. You guys are still yeah, yeah, first. Yeah, we're two years ahead. Yeah. Man. And anyway, Tony grew up in New York City. And uh, it was a tough neighborhood, and uh, it was a tough time to grow up then, so this song is about that. And he's a very nice, decent chap. Lovely guy. Very, very... Is he still no. around? What What did he go on to? Uh, he didn't do anything musically that I'm aware of. Uh, I know that he ended up in photography and took pictures of beautiful models, and that's the last I heard of him. Was he in Vancouver? He was in Vancouver, and Dave Gregg had his phone number, and Dave Gregg took that number with him. So beautiful models. Dave Gregg, private school, on the Nardward Human Serviette radio show. Fuck you! Fuck you! And fuck you!
conditions are got us a new shot. No one wants to listen. No one wants to fight. They can be politicians. That got a solution.
again, you're still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show with the band Private School on CITR on my show. Now, what exactly did we hear Jamie in that set right there? We heard I Want to Know so clear, so clear. Yeah, uh, the mastering, the remastering um, is punchier. Um, bass is up front, uh, very clear, very, very good. And as all this, un- this is not, this released, how much of the record is unreleased? Is anything unreleased? Uh, everything's on this record that was recorded in a studio. But not actually released. Two of the cuts are not Two of the cuts uh, have never been released before. On the and that was originally on the 7 inch <clears throat> as printed by Dave Gregg. Yes. And before that, what did we hear? We heard a little bit of. I, uh, sorry, Money, Guns, and Power. Money, Guns, and Power. Yeah, that's, uh, that was a big uh, Ron Nelson song. And, of course, the lyrics uh, talk about Money, Guns, and Power. Very powerful. And, Walter, we began with Fuck You. You got it. What do you think about the recording quality? What do you remember about this actual recording? Because, again, I mentioned it sounds so great. Like, Jason, how does this differ from you, like, rescuing, you know, the Zealots, which you also released, the one cassette? How does that, how does this compare? Well, the Zealots was the most deteriorated, damaged source I've ever used, and I, I hope it will be the most damaged. I, it was crazy. I mean, I almost abandoned it. This was really great. There there were a few issues, like just technical issues, but it had been well taken care of. And uh, yeah, it sounds better than the original one because I've heard time and time again from people that made records in Vancouver that the guy that cut the lacquers here didn't know what he was doing and really didn't care. Well, so lot, they would roll the bass off of them. Well, a lot was done at um, the Praise Record Recording Studio, which got a lot of money from Word Records, which is a Christian manufacturing yep. company. But they actually printed a lot of records, and it was cool having a record-pressing plant in yeah. Vancouver. And I think some Seattle bands got it actually done. And actually, a lot of printing is done in Canada, isn't it, for record? You know, Jacket Made in Canada. Yeah. There's a couple bands have records called Jacket Made in Canada. But Walter, what do you remember about that particular song that we heard? Fuck well, you, or that session? I remember um, Chris Cutrus, who was the engineer on it. I mean, it was done in Burnaby. Shout out and, to Chris. And he he was quite meticulous. I think he ended up working at CBC, or he may still be still there, be there. For, yeah. for what I know. And uh, there's a distinctive sound, because I was using um, Ludwig uh, plexiglass uh, with um, the sort of octobon uh, uh, set up. Uh, so it had a kind of disti- distinctive acrylic sort of sound to them. And it was a very 70s kind of uh, drum sound. And when you recorded this, was this the same sh- session as a Vancouver Complication? It was different, right? It was the same. I think what we did... We did, we, we did two we, songs for the Complication. Yeah, they... they when it was the same appeared. location, and it was done on, for a series of days. I mean, there was a couple of different sessions here. Yeah, we there. started recording in January, so after after the complications had been done. I remember going out on the bus up Kingsway, about as far as you can go before you hit New West, so it was somewhere around there. And, Jamie, you were forced not to play on the records? You weren't allowed to play on uh, not some particular tracks? Yeah, because uh, uh, a song like uh, Fuck You is a hard-hitting uh, punk rock song, and uh, the sax just it really didn't fit in there. I also, I also played uh, fr- with tenor and soprano sax, and on some of the songs, uh, the soprano sax would cut through 
all the the, the loud vocals and, and buzzsaw guitars. But these particular songs, um, no, the, the sax wouldn't have fit. In general, in punk rock, I think in England, the X-Ray Specs had lots of sax. Were there any other sax bands worldwide? Uh, punk bands with sax, um, I can't think of anything else. We were all, always compared to the X-Ray Specs, yeah. uh, favorably so. And that uh, album, Germ-Free Ad- Adolescence, was such a great album with yeah. a lot of cuts on it. Yeah. So when I heard it, I thought, hey, here's a band. They're from England. They're punk, and they have a sax player. And they sound like us. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> and we are live with Vancouver, B.C.'s Private School, cool. who have reissued their rare record. Had you had any contact with people over the years mentioning Private School or wanting to reissue it? No, no reissues, um, but uh, occasionally you'd meet somebody and they'd say, oh, you're in private school? I used to have that record, but you know what? I sold it on eBay for $800. Bah, boom. The early version of private school, Walt, had Reed from Exotone in the band. What was he like? Because Exotone, I loved their song on the Vancouver Complication. Well, Reed Urchuk was probably one of the people responsible for me getting into the whole scene. I mean, I... I I had a sort of a telephone interview with Reed asking me what I was into in terms of music. And then uh, the way that I met private school was we were in Yaletown in a, in a warehouse. And Yaletown was a much different place than it is today. And uh, we were jamming with this uh, guitar player with Reed and myself. And uh, we were doing like reggae versions of knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. And in the next room was private school. So it kind of, it just kind of shifted over. Next thing we knew, Reed and I were in private school together. But that was a very short-lived sort of marriage because um, with Reed and Ron, if you knew their personalities, there was, uh, you know, they were... Headbutting. Yeah, <laughs> right from the, right the get-go. So you knew that that marriage was going to end. Wasn't food an important part, though, of the private school story, like Fresco's? Oh, of course. The Fresco Inn? I loved it. <laughs> the Spanish Did, steak. Uh, didn't you guys come together over the Fresco Inn? Uh, yeah, it was a late-night hangout. Uh, it was the only place uh, open at 3 a.m. after a band practice or a gig, and we'd just go, go and hang out there and... I think either Ron worked there or he knew a bunch of people that worked there, so we'd get a whole big plate of fries but for But weren't cheap. there some posters, like private school is coming around the Fresco okay, and area? Okay, I know what story we're going for now. Uh, basically, I knew of private school before I actually met him because uh, Ron had done a postering campaign through the West End, and me being a West End resident without a car and walking all over the place, I'd see these posters, and they just simply said, private school is coming. And I'm thinking, who the hell is private school? And who do they think they are putting these posters up all around the West End and down Robson Street and down Granville Street? Well, when it finally came to bear, I was actually playing in private school, so they kind of had hyped themselves to me before I even knew the band. And now it's near Fred's Go In. Fred's Go In again. Food and private school. Very important. What about the other places to eat in Lubix. Vancouver? Lubix. Yeah, Lubix number one. And they yeah. were known for the 75-cent breakfast, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, all day. I looked on Google Maps, and on Abbott Street, there is a Lubix smoke shop. Yeah. 
Uh, do you think they're related? Yes. yes. Uh, he, he, he quit the uh, restaurant, or if you could call it a restaurant. He, he quit the cafe business, got into the cigarette business, made more money that way. It's still there. And it's still there. It's still there. Lubix on Abbott Street. What about the other places to eat? And we're speaking again to the private school from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, with a brand new reissue on Supreme Echo. Echo. The, what about the Montgomery Cafe? Or Hamburger Mary's or Dolan Pennies. Do you remember those places? No, I don't remember. I remember uh, Dave showing up to practice. Uh, he lived uh, on Gore Street just uh, inside Chinatown there, and he'd show up to practice with a big box of uh, coconut buns. That was heaven. And Dave, Fresh. was Dave originally from Quadra Island? Yeah, he was from one of the islands. I think he had a West Kootenai connection, too. I think he was actually born in Saskatchewan, and then uh, uh, he lived up in, uh, by Caslow somewhere. And actually, rest in peace, Dave. Yes, Greg. bless him. Uh, um, he died a few years ago, but it was an amazing career that he had. But yep. Private School, was that his first band? That was his very first band. Other than jamming, that was his first real band. He also lived at, like, the 800 block, Gore Party House. That's it. There were a lot of parties there? Oh, All the time. It was a party nonstop, and I think that's probably a big reason he was in DOA so fast after private school. I mean... Uh, they used to practice it, in his That basement. was ground zero for, you know, that punk house on Gore Street. And, like, the Dills stayed there, DOA yep. stayed there. Everybody. And actually, the back cover of the Vancouver Complication album is a picture of that house, isn't it? Yes, his or living room. Is, that's, the, his, that's his living room, and it's got all the, the, the graffiti on it. All the punk bands. All the punk bands. Where do you list, uh, where, where does private school f- fit in in that list? About halfway down, because there was a lot of uh, F bands uh, p- prior to the, the solid bands of DOA and private school and subhumans. Uh, you know, the sick ones, and uh, so I can't, I can't even remember all their names, but halfway down is private school. Who do you think was, like, the greatest unrecorded band on that list? Because I think on the back of the Vancouver Complication album, there's a lot of bands that didn't record or didn't make it to the record. You guys made it to the record. Yeah, yeah. Is there yeah. any bands that stand out in your mind that weren't documented but were great? Um, the Bludgeon Picks, did they record something? I was so wondering. Yeah. Jason, do you want to s- Yeah, I mean, that's, that truly, I'm just going to say it. It is the punkest shit I've ever heard from Vancouver. Like, they're, they're almost falling over out of control, and they barely make it through the songs. So you have but, heard them, so they did record. Well, I happen to know of a, a recording, let's put it that way. But they did not do a studio recording. I don't think they would have made it through a studio recording, but it's amazing. And stuff. who was in the Bludgeon Pigs? Can you name them? Oh, uh, you go ahead. Al oh no, Bludgeon. I can't. I know. I mean, I don't know the, their whole story yet. I know Al Bludgeon, who's no longer with us. Uh, Tony Walker, is that right? Yeah. Um, and I don't know the names of the other guys. Tony it's Bologna. pretty er, pretty early that I'm getting schooled on that stuff. Tony Baloney was in a band. Yeah. But they didn't do any studio recordings Who at all. Who kind of collects, connects to you because he was in the Real McKenzie's for a while. Yes. Yep. And the Actionauts, and then yep. Dave Drake was in yep. the Real McKenzie's. Yep. You said for six years Yes. he played. Yeah. The early private school gigs. On November 19, 1978, there is a gig poster at the Viking Hall 
for the Point and Sticks, the Dish Rags, and Rabid. What do you remember about that gig at the Viking Hall? Sounds like a great bill. I wouldn't miss that for the world. On November 19th, 1978, at the Viking Hall, which is still there. Yeah, yeah, I remember yep. that gig. Eight. Viking Hall is a great place to play. What do you remember about that gig? Well, I mean, the lineup and uh, the fact the uh, Pointed Sticks were sort of on, uh, on the upswing and uh, everybody knew that they were going to go, you know, places because they had a very poppy kind of sound. And there was a lot of buzz, too, so a lot of people were showing up um, who'd never heard uh, the Pointed Sticks or us or any of the other bands. They were just kind of curious. And uh, it was a big hall, so it could hold a lot of people. But I'll tell you something about that gig when private school was playing. There was a guy in the audience with a patch on his eye and long hair. And he had a thing for me. He was spitting at me and only me. (laughs) And it was getting so bad that the spit was going in my mouth, right? And I was trying to play sax at the same time. And Ron Nelson was getting really irritated with this guy. And um, Tony Bardock wasn't in the band at the time. Tony Falk was our bass player. And Tony Bardock was getting really annoyed with this guy too. So Tony came out, Tony Bardock came out onto stage and he stood really close to this guy, and he crouched down as though he was going to jump on this guy and strangle him. And the guy just qu- took one look at that and quit spitting at me. Was that the only instance of spit that was hurled at you? Oh, no. There, that, I remember that one specifically because I could see the guy that was doing it. But usually when you came back from gigs, you were covered in spit. How much spit was there? Walter, you were okay. You were- yeah, you set the drums as far back on a small <laughs> stage as possible. But uh, Ron Nelson wouldn't tolerate spitting. He wouldn't tolerate uh, things being thrown. And he wouldn't tolerate um, people shouting stuff. And uh, Ron was like the school teacher of oh, yeah. a private school, and the kids would listen. He was a... Um, he was a singer of pr- He was the school. front singer, yeah. He was, the, he, he was the leader of the band, and, I mean, he would reprimand people for being late for practice. And practice usually included, you know, five times a week, and, you know... you After work. After work, and you'd, uh, you, you'd get, catch a quick bite at Lubick's for a couple bucks, and then you'd go and do your, your, your session. Sometimes, if you're feeling a little rich, you'd go over to the Lotus and have a couple of, and have a couple of beers. Yeah, 25 cents. Tom Harrison called your contribution to the Vancouver Complication, which at that time was called Vancouver Agogo, in Snotrag Fanzine, page 16 of number 18, Snotrag Fanzine, June the 23rd, 1979. Your arrangements were underdeveloped. That's what he said <laughs> for Rock and Roll Radio. Yeah, I think um, he was expecting an awful lot more from us. He'd seen us live, and we were quite punchy live and and probably a little bit dirty on the music side, um, you know, raw. Um, and that was kind of cleaned up in the recording. But you here have brought in a special remedy for that years-old Tom Harrison complaint. We have a special version you have brought in for the Nardware Show, an exclusive. Uh, exclusive version of science fiction which is a very unusual song, and it was uh, re-released on Zulu Records. Uh, Shout out to Grant McDonough. Um, uh, The the only private school cut on there, science fiction, and um, that uh, that wasn't remastered like this one is. This is remastered. This song, there's a whole story about it in the booklet, and um, this is the one that people really remember most about private school. And this is actually a special version 
not available anywhere else except on the Nardwar Human Serviette show. It's got a particular ending, so please listen for it. Science Fiction by Private School, school. on the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show.
We are joined now, believe it or not, by Ron of Private School. We have Ron of Private School. Hello, are you there, Ron? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Are you there, Ron? Yes, I'm here. Who was Private School? Who was Private School? Well, it was um, a socialist band. Everyone uh, was was equal. You know... uh, our first release was, uh, even though I wrote most of the songs, I, only one of my songs was on their first release because I wanted everyone to have their say. Tony was a genius, and he had two tunes. I had one, and Jamie had one, and they were all great tunes. What do you remember about the early days of private school, Ron? Like you playing with Victorian Pork and A.V. at the Japanese Hall. Yeah, well, when we started, we were just figuring things out. And, um, you know, until we got Tony and Walter as a rhythm section, we weren't a real band. You know, once we had Tony and Walter... Everything just fell into place, and Jamie was, you know, the best musician in the band, and uh, David grew up in our band. He became a great guitarist. Absolutely. So, uh, you know... I actually That's the way it was. I found a review, Ron, of some very early snot of some very early private school from Snot Rag Fanzine, number ten, July fourteenth, seventy eight. It was you playing on Canada Day in Stanley Park. Do you remember playing? Oh, no, in- that was a disaster. I remember that. <laughs> Embarrassing. And we had to start somewhere, right? <laughs> and the, re- the review said private school's effect on its audience is more subtle. They depend on weaving harmonies. I didn't view them as being effective at this concert because the sound system was not adequate to clearly transmit their music. And this was compounded by a certain amount of duplicated efforts amongst their instruments. What happened on Canada Day? What lineup did you bring in for that show? I, honestly, it, it was so long ago, I, I don't think about that stuff, but uh, as I remember it, Tony Bardock was her bass player. Um, Walt was I can't drums. remember who the drummer Walt, was. Walt, what do you remember about that gig? Well, I remember... Uh, I remember we- it was a disaster. <laughs> Well, we we had yeah. to. They they got the permit from some Christian group to actually have the show. <laughs> remember, the cops arrived, and I remember uh, well DOA and I think Subhumans, and we yeah. were on it. So wouldn't uh, wouldn't be allowed to play. So uh, Joey got the uh, permits from the Christian group because they they finished at exactly. three o'clock. So yeah, they passed yeah. it. To and and uh, as far as I know, yeah, I think that's it was, why Joey's running for. Yeah. Well, it did happen, and it, it, it was kind of, uh, if you were there, 
You know, you remember it. It was kind of an iconic moment in... Oh, it was ages ago, man. I can't remember that shit. I mean, really, <laughs> come on. Get real. But actually... I mean, I have a life, you know, and everyone else does, too. Well, Ron, you that always... That was like a brief, uh, you know... What? A blink of an eye in our, in our young lives. And it was enjoyable, but really, why would we dwell on it? You, on. you also, Ron, had the band The Singing Cowboys. The Singing well, Cowboys. I like that band. We've, Andy Graffiti was a brilliant drummer. Everyone knows that. You know, and Rachel was a great bass player. And Maddie was now the lead instrumental player playing violin and, and, and I was playing guitar really well. I took David's place and I felt great. That was a great band. I'm sorry we only recorded one uh, song. Well, speaking... Because, uh, we were actually as good as Magic Dragon. Well, speaking actually of politicians, Joey Shithead, etc., you had in the Singing Cowboys at one time, Germ Warfare, Dermot Foley, who became a Cope Park Ward Commissioner. He was fantastic uh, player. When we did uh, the com- uh, the Commodore with, uh, we opened for uh, uh, B-52s. We did uh, Johnny Be Good, which I kind of deconstructed. And, and the lead guitar solo was re- replaced by Dermot on Moog. And him and Andy Graffiti just Stretch that tune out for like 15 minutes and it was our last tune in the set. It was fantastic. And we're, we're, great. we're speaking here to Ron Nelson from private school on the occasion of private school getting reissued by Supreme Echo Records. But on the initial recording, if you look really closely in the groove, you will see full friction for the future. Full friction now. What was that all about, Ron? Jeez, I have no idea. That was like ages ago, man. I, I can't remember. Well, unfortunately, Sorry. your groove, your ideas live on through vinyl. That's the runoff vinyl. Full friction well, for the I future. Well, I do remember saying this. I told everyone in the band that, you know, a great live show is, is, is a wonderful thing, but all anyone will ever remember is what we record. And our recordings are really important we have to do a good job on those they sound and everyone bought into that and i'm i'm proud of all our recordings they sound more than our live performances really they sound amazing also you live on ron did you do the artwork for the vancouver complication record and get it rejected and it ended up on a blue northern cover I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, Rock and Roll Radio was on Vancouver compilations. But the actual cover artwork... I was artwork. working for Quintessence. Um, I was shooting uh, Subhumans, uh, Modernettes. Um, yeah, you did the artwork. I was doing covers for all of them. Yeah, like if you... And I shot uh, Blue Northern. They did an EP on Quintessence. 
And when you look at the back of the modern teen city record, you say art by panic, but you were panic, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. How many records did you do, and how did you come up with panic? Well, I can't remember, man. It was ages ago. Come on. <laughs> well, you also ended up on Beggar's Banquet. I had no idea that Kurt Lassie were on Beggar's Banquet. Well, I even designed the cover for our album on Beggar's Banquet. And... So, uh, Steve... Uh, Briggs was the guy who was working in the art department. He got assigned to that, and um, he let me, him and I work together to design the album cover. Anything else? Steve Webbin, actually. Sorry. Steve Webbin. Anything else you want to say to Ron at all, Jamie or Walter, about private school? Well, yeah, Ron, I'm, well, uh, you know, uh, here's here's my here's my uh, little thing about private school with uh, Ron Nelson. Um, it was my first uh, b- big rock band too. You know, I think it was all our firsts in there, and uh, we gelled, and uh, lifelong friendships formed out of it. And uh, of course, we moved on musically, each of us. Uh, but it was a great experience, and it was an early Vancouver experience. And I'm I'm really happy, Ron, that I met you. I love you, and uh, me too, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and you and Tony were the ace. Ah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was fun, man, and uh, oh, it's great, eh? Yeah, yeah. And I still remember the sessions up in the ballet studio. I don't think we could start rehearsal till like eight, nine, or ten o'clock, and it was right across from Woodward's on on Hastings there. I remember that. Yeah, yeah that's when I joined. That's because uh, we had to wait for the ballet uh, sessions to end, and then we'd go in and we'd do the rehearsal. Yeah, a lot of time, eh? Well, Ron, and and so young. Anything you want to add to the people out there about private school, Ron? Well, the whole scene was fantastic. The fans. We're so committed, and we all felt we were doing something important. It was just so cool to be part of that. And it was great. You know, it'll never happen again. I don't think so. It was uh, one in a million, really. And I feel blessed to be there at the time. Well, thank you very much for answering the phone, Ron. We really appreciate it, and thank That's you. That's the least I can do, man. Take th- care, eh? And thank you, Jamie, for arranging this call. Well, keep on rocking in the free world, Ron, and do-do-loot-do. What's that? Ron, do-do-loot-do. Okay. Almost. Do-do-loot-do. Well, that's what Jamie said, but I'm not sure what it means. You're but, almost oh. just <laughs> fill in the syllable. Do do lo do. Uh. <laughs> almost, almost. Ron Nelson, a private school. Do do lo do. Do do. Your bandmates helped you out. Thank you so much, Ron. Hello, Ron. <laughs> All right. Is that the first time you've helped Ron out, or did you help Ron? You did some vocals, right? Did you do? You did. Oh yes, yeah. Yeah, We we all vocals. We're all shouting. You did background vocals. What about you, Jamie? Yeah, there's a song called uh, "Stay Up," and uh, there's the the refrain in there is "No, no, no, mommy, can I stay up?" 
And uh, everyone says, no, 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 no. So everybody was shouting, no, 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 on stage. And everybody in the audience was shouting, no, 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 no. And that was Ron Nelson, the singer the of lead singer school. of private The school. benevolent dictator, I would say. But he got <laughs> the job done. And we will hear him now in action doing Bad, the song Bad. What can you say about the song Bad that never came out? Um, I, I, sorry, I'm drawing a blank on Bad. I can I can tell you about Stay Up, but uh, uh, Jason, <laughs> it's on your record. I think I just lost a tooth. <laughs> I, I have no idea what you're saying. I, we are about to play the song "Private School Bad Remastered 10. Anything? Let's play it. I love that. Actually, I love the idea that you don't know the song until you hear it. That yeah. shows how fresh it really is. You yeah. are bringing it back. So this is Private School, probably from 1970. 78. 78 yep. from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, with Ron Nelson on lead vocals on an Ardwar, the Human Serviette radio show.
and you're listening to CITR, the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show. And we just heard, what did we hear, Jamie? I was wrong in calling it bad. Well, actually, that was stay up, but we began with bad times. Bad times. What is that song all about? And uh, that was not originally released, right? Uh, no. It, uh, it was, a, well, it, I'm sure Ron could uh, talk about that, but uh, if I, if, if my interpretation was... Uh, we've all had bad times. Back then, we were young, and we were having bad times, and a lot of the kids out in the audience were having bad times, and it was just something to, to sing about, and it's actually a, a positive song. Was that intended for release? Uh, everything was intended for release. So yeah. that was going to be on a single, or did you hold it off your single that you it put out? It just ended up on the cutting room floor for whatever reason. And we also heard Walter, Stay Up. Stay Up, yeah. What do you remember about Stay Up, that song? Well, I just remember it's kind of a nursery rhyme kind of uh, tone to it. And and uh, it was just one of the other uh, songs that Ron was kind of churning out at that time. Um, we recorded everything that we could under the time allotted. And uh, I remember there was some politics even for the complications. Uh, Ron wanted another cut on the, on cuts, the, yeah. on the record. But, uh, you know, it was... Uh, and he thought, down. yeah, he thought this would be the song that actually made it, but they 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 picked the other one. And this song is, uh, as Walt says, is kind of a nursery rhyme. It is one of those uh, things where the whole audience could participate. Everybody could shout, no, 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 no. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. The CITR charts, May the seventh, nineteen eighty. Number one, the Young Canadians, Hawaii. Number two. The Skids, number three, Magazine, number four, Peter Gabriel, number five, Robert Fripp, number six, The Dills, Sound of the Rain, number seven, Squeeze, number eight, Frank Zappa, number nine, Gary Newman, number ten, The Undertones, Teenage Kicks, number eleven, Private school. Private school. Science. Fiction. Science. Fiction. Amazing. On the CITR charts, number 12, you're ahead of the jam going underground. Now on the CITR singles playlist charts from February 20th, 1980, number one, The Clash. Number two, the Young Canadians with No Escape. Number, number three, The Gang of Four. Number four, Pearl Harbor. Number five, DOA with What You Gonna Do. Number six, Elvis Costello, who's kind of local with I Can't Stand Up for Falling Down. Number seven, Peter Gabriel. Number eight, the specials live with too much too young a live ep number nine the pretenders number 10 madness number 11 the pointed sticks yeah the pointed sticks yeah with i'm num number 12 the specials with gangsters and number 13 private school with Lucky number 13, science fiction. Sci-fi number 13. And number 14, 
the simple minds. And a little note here, take note, the big boys are under science fiction. <laughs> you killed, so you were on the CITR charts. It meant something yep. to be on the CITR Yeah, we were charts. so proud of that, yeah. CITR radio. Yeah. February 20th, 1980. And that, of course, was private school. Private school. Right here, I went a couple years ago to a garage sale that Ken Lester was having. Ken Lester. Yeah. You know, the, who's Ken Lester? Manager of DOA. The man that ran away. What do you remember about Ken Lester? He, he was part of putting that uh, Canada Day uh, whole thing in the Stanley I, I Park thing. I think, was he uh, the anarchy? Anarchy. An- it was anarchy. anarchy uh, David Spanner from the Subhumans Manager, he was part of it too. Anyways, Ken Lester was having a garage sale, but he refused to go to the door of his house. It was just kind of like you would have to get stuff through like the chain door, you know, like the door was chained, but he would open the door just a little bit. And I saw this amazing private school EP, the original in the envelope with actual writing Uh from Ken Lester. So this is Ken Lester's own copy where he has written on it, lost in action by private school. Four song EP featuring Dave Gregg and Tony Falk. So he, Ken Lester remembers you, private school, as yep. featuring Dave Gregg Interesting. and Tony Falk. He yep. didn't mention the other guys. You. No. Ken, did you have any interactions at all with Ken Lasseter? No, none with me. And then he goes on to say, also inside is a copy of Ayatollah, a limited edition signed record by the artist, the worst record ever in Vancouver, Ayatollah. I was curious, have you ever heard Ayatollah, the worst record ever in Vancouver, recorded? It's in the same kind of envelope. Yeah. It's probably printed by Dave Gregg. Dave Gregg. And so we will hear right after the Flames, a band you were involved in, Walter, right? You got it. So what are we going to hear right now? Uh, which song by the Flames are we going to hear right now? I, don't I think know. Jason picked out. Jason's going to pick one out here. Yeah, it, it was it was hard to choose, but in the end, I went with the craziest synthesizer one. It's the song "Contaminated." What can you say about the song "Contaminated"? What can you say about the Flames? Maybe we should give a warning to people out there in Radioland <laughs> if they aren't ready for the Flames. Here come the Flames, right? Who are the Flames? They had like a lead singer who was like. An amazing lead singer, right? Well, it was uh, Mike Richards, and uh, Mike Richards uh, was signed to a major label when he released uh, a band. Uh, he was in a band called Troika. They're based out of Edmonton, and they uh, they actually had a real record contract. And uh, I met him shortly after uh, private school, and he, he had this mission to get this album recorded. And uh, we went into, I think it was Blue Wave Studios and uh, worked with uh, a famous engineer uh, who did a lot of reggae stuff. And uh, not to mention the Rolling Stones Goat Head Soup, uh, Carlton Lee from Jamaica. So it was a, it, it, it was a short-lived uh, thing. It was kind of, it flamed out very quickly. But this particular recording we are playing right now is a result of the phone number being left on the record. The phone number was on the record. What happened with the record? Somebody found the record with the phone number, phoned a phone number, and then reissued the record. 
Well, yeah, there is a story to that, and I'm not sure if I can um, spell it out for you, but it was basically kind of an undiscovered gem by this guy in, uh, I don't know if it was Wilmington, Delaware, or somewhere back on the eastern seaboard, and it kind of had this uh, resurgence, and, and it's been re-released, uh, I notice, uh, in CD format with a bunch of extra tracks. So um, I, I found my copy in Langford, British Columbia, Canada. And speaking of Vancouver Island, we are here today celebrating. Maybe you could mention one more time, Jason, what is happening today on the Nardwar Show? What is happening? We're celebrating, celebrating the 40th anniversary, almost, a, a few months short, let's, let's say, of uh, the private school lost in action. And uh, we have a reissue that encompasses the entire recorded repertoire of the group. And uh, we're here with you now. And tomorrow, we're going to be doing a in-store where you can come and meet uh, Jamie and Walt at Neptune Records on uh, Main Street. And that's going to be starting at 1 p.m. We're going to be there till at least 2.30. And then again, that evening, we'll be partying at What's Up Hot Dog with some music and some food. And everyone's welcome. And uh, in our experience, a lot of pretty interesting people come out from the past and present and uh, reminisce and have a good time. This particular recording that we're about to hear by The Flames, Walt, it was recorded in West Van. You mentioned Blue Wave or something. But no, it was um, near Arbutus and where the uh, brewery used to be. I That's think Little it was, Mountain. No, no, it wasn't Little Mountain. I, I think heard it was, it was Blue, recorded in Blue. West Van. Did you do any recordings in West Van? No. Like I thought in West Van. No. You recorded this. Rec- was, I, was anybody doing this sort of content? Like, again, we're going to play. What song are we going to play right now? I don't want to be contaminated. Contaminated by the flames. Was anybody doing this sort of content? You play drums for the flames. I should mention that, right? Yes, yes. Was anybody doing this sort of content in Vancouver? Like living in bondage, contaminated, punish me, stab to death, no. menage a trois. Was anybody doing no, this I sort of content? No, I don't think so. We're definitely uh, out there. <laughs> that's, uh, that's why it flamed. And here we go, The Flames on CITR with Walt on drums. I don't want to be contaminated. But working on this job, you get contaminated. I got to be strong, yeah, I got to be free to keep contamination from getting to me. I don't wanna see the final solution. Like as we work all day on a Saturday 
and you're still listening, hopefully, to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show. What did we hear there, Walt? What did we hear? We heard you on drums. You sure did, and that was contaminated by the flames, released in 1980. And you were saying, Jimmy, you were part of the flames... You jammed the least with In this the guy. early days, yeah. And the, the way uh, this band started, the flame started out, I'd rather talk about my band Warsaw. But anyway, that's for another time. Uh, we were jamming in uh, Walt's house in the West End on Butte Street. It's an old, lovely house. And this guy, Jay Richards, would walk his dog down the street and hear these guys jamming. So finally one day he couldn't stand it anymore, and he knocked on the door, and he says, Oh, uh, you guys jamming? Do you mind if I, I come in with my guitar? Oh, sure, come on in, you know, it's uh, we're just jamming. So he came in, and from then, for me, it went downhill. It was like, oh, I've got this song. Uh, l- let's try this. Uh, you play that. Um, and um, you over there can't play well enough, so get out of here. I'm going to get somebody else to play bass. And all these years later, he is haunting you because it's been reissued to Flames, and you've reissued... Private school. There we go. And all on the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show. I tweeted out a picture at Nardwar and a N A R D W U A R of the Dead Kennedys playing on Commercial Drive. Private school were on that gig, right? What do you remember about Jello Biafra playing with him? Uh, one of the gigs, he like took out like a, a whole bunch of flour and like passed it around, you know, on people. What do you remember about the Dead Kennedys gig? Well, the and first gig was uh, yeah, at the, the Smiling, Smiling Buddha. Buddha. I remember that one. And yeah. that was kind of uh, I really didn't know much about the De- Dead Kennedys before I seen them come come and play at the Smiling Buddha. And it, I mean, uh, it was one of the first sort of uh, American punk bands to come up. Uh, to Vancouver uh, and kind of mine uh, the resources up here and I guess it created a a pipeline for other bands to go play in the Mobuhe Gardens and and there was kind of a, a brotherhood built up there but but they were a great band. I mean, you you knew right Always from the get show. go. Yeah. What yeah. about do you remember any performance? You know, like like I mentioned, you know, a whole bunch of flour being banged. I don't remember on the flour, but I just remember uh, he was uh, he would lie down and he would uh, lie down on his back and and his backwards hang off the the stage and sing like that. It was just like really strange. You also played the night Joe Clark got elected. <laughs> Joe who? Joe Clark, the Prime Minister of Canada. Joe who? What was the date of that? 1979. You played the Commoner Ballroom with the police. Um, That was the night that Joe Clark got elected. All these years, I didn't know it was an actual election. I guess people were voting, so not very many people showed up. So this is a segue to remind uh, all the listeners that they should go out and vote tomorrow. In Vancouver civic elections. All over the province. But Dimwit came to your rescue, didn't he? Yeah. Loved him. Loved him. Yeah. And uh, Dim also interviewed us. Uh, there's some great video footage of Dimwit in the back uh, interviewing private school. Will that be on YouTube? Uh, no. Do you think it ever will be? Fingers crossed. It's an amazing booklet you put together, The History of Private School. Thank you. If people haven't understood this conversation between Nardwar, the human serviette, and private school, they can actually buy the record and find out a printed version that makes a lot of sense. But thank you, Jamie, for this amazing booklet that you've laid out. It has pretty much the history. You were saying kind of like it's been reduced in size. What has been cut out of the private school history that you wanted to put in the book? 
uh, while there's just so much more, the, the, the very early days, the, the days in the ballet studio, the... The Vancouver um, complication. The story. Vancouver complication story. The O'Hara's. Um, yeah, there's. It, it's all part of uh, everybody's history in Vancouver. How did you get so many gigs at the Windmill Club in Vancouver? Well, usually you'd get bill. Uh, the billing would be on a Monday or Tuesday night. I mean, they never gave the punks the real prime sort of weekend slots, and. Uh, you know, there was enough of a following. You get like two or three bands Ron, together. Ron was really good at that. I must say, Ron would go uh, bang on doors, uh, yeah. phone people, go walk right into their offices. He was a very big meetings. networker. And uh, yeah, he, he would get us those gigs. I mean, this was before And he wouldn't Facebook. get us just one night. He'd get us two nights. Yeah. And we'd have uh, the, uh, the dish rags uh, for two nights at the windmill. And the first night, the dish rag, we would open for the dish rags. The next night, uh, dish rags would open for us. I remember the gig, uh, one of the early ones was at Orff Studio in uh, Granville Island when Granville yeah. Island was completely different. That was a snot rig, you would, second annual snot rig And that party. was one of the earliest uh, punk gigs that I could, uh, well, I probably, my time frame gets a little muddled, but I mean, I remember that because he had uh, those glass negatives and somebody knocked over this rack. His wall. It, it was yeah. never to be done again yeah. in, in that location. I mean, punk had a way of sort of burning uh, <laughs> burning down places. I love that you had Bill Bissett in your band for a bit. Bill yep. Bissett from yep. UBC, yeah. the amazing poet. Yeah, Absolutely, he would yeah. recite po- poetry, and when that was played another in the back. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Ron was always very adventurous to, to introduce these kinds of multimedia, if you will, right. live on something totally different. And uh, Bill Bissett, uh, he was great. He was, yeah, I wish that was recorded. School winding up here. Did you ever play the Doc O'Hara's? Yes. You know, the Doc. What was yeah. the Doc? I'm fascinated O'Hara's. by the Doc. Oh, oh, wonderful! It was it was a great place to play. It was very cavernous. Of course, it was a, a, a it was a pretty big it? room, a, 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 a huge lobby at one time for for boats, um, but great sound and a lot of Hell's Angels and a lot of fights afterwards and uh, yeah, wonderful. Jimmy, you also went on to Warsaw, the band Warsaw. Uh-huh. When you named the band Warsaw, did you know about it? In the back of my mind, it was there, and I thought this is such a great name; it needs to be out there again. Um, and I, I just uh, the visual of, of uh, the uh, the word Warsaw had uh, uh, you know two W's, uh, book ending, an S in the middle, and uh, A's on either side of that. It was just like a wonderful name, but. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of people confused us for, for Joy Division's early incarnation as Warsaw. Have you got any Joy Division fans to join the Warsaw legend? Uh, well, people would buy our records based on the fact that they thought we were Joy Division, but that's as close as we got. But it isn't really a record. It's a flexi disc. It's an original flexi. Which comes back to the reissue of the private school on Supreme Echo, which is a... Flexi. flexi and it's a beautiful yellow flexi too. You should hang this up or dangle it from your lights. It's absolutely beautiful, transparent yellow. As well as a booklet and a well, vinyl record as well. And a vinyl record. But winding up here, how did you get on Friends Records, which also was home of Magic Dragon, which Ron Nelson sung for? And Subhumans. Uh, how did we get there? Um, we were just kind of um, uh, shopping around, and uh, um, uh, Friends Records, uh, Roy, um, 
said, okay, um, I'll put it out for you. And it was probably a you know, good tax dodge for him or something. And uh, yeah, he, he, he said he'd distribute it as long as he, we put his friend's hot wax on the cover, which kind of, uh, it's a pretty shitty logo. It's cut out of, um, poorly cut out. And anyway, um, he never gave me the original artwork back. I'm pissed off about that. But, you know, there's other stories about him as well. And it wasn't just you and the band. There also was Ed Mowbray. Ed Mowbray. Shout out to Ed. Hope you're listening, man. Who people can actually see on YouTube because he shot a lot of vids. He, like he shot the Marlinettes Barbara video. Yeah, classic. And he shot uh, World War Three DOA. And he shot the dish rags. Yeah, he really raised the bar for uh, locally made uh, videos. music videos. And that Barbara one for the Marlinettes yeah, was, it's, you it's know, classic. with the editing. I mean, he was... He was already working, I think, at CKVU, so he, I mean, he was from the industry. Yeah. What's amazing about that Modernettes video is on YouTube, it lives on, and it's got like 400,000 hits, yep. views. It's amazing. Yep. Like, it's been restored. He did a great job. What yep. did you do after private school? You did Warsaw. What did you do, Walter? Uh, well, briefly after Flames, I played in a... Oh, after Flames, yeah. It was a ska reggae band called The Invaders. And we actually did a gig here, right at UBC, backing up 5440. There also was the Villains. They were a ska band, Yeah, right? and there was another band called The B-Sides. Um, so, yeah, that, was, again, uh, was early 80s. And what about you, uh, I, I, after Warsaw, uh, I formed Paz with uh, Walter's brother, John Makroff, and um, a couple of other guys. And uh, then after that incarnation, we put out a cassette, which did really well in Japan. Um, and after that, um, the guitar player uh, left. Uh, so we got another guitar player, and we brought Walter in. So we had two drums and uh, two drummers. Uh, nice big sound. And uh, to this very day... Um, Paz still plays together, minus one drummer. But, uh, yeah, we're still doing it. Was it hard to release a record in the 1970s, 80s? Like, were record stores receptive to consignment? No. What about Charles Bogle Record Dispensary? Do you remember that place? Oh, yeah. he. Uh, we went up there. Uh, Paz went up there. A couple of guys from Paz went up there poking around. And uh, he had a whole bunch of Warsaw Flexies behind the glass counter, uh, amongst other beautiful things. And it just looked wonderful in there. And he started talking to us, and I said, yeah, we used to be in a band called Warsaw, and I design, designed the Flexi cover and all that. And he said, oh, you're in Warsaw? He said, I got a whole bunch of Warsaw Flexies here. Do you want to buy them back? Did you? <laughs> I said, no, you, you go ahead and sell them. I have actually bought my records back from stores when people <laughs> offer them i am gonna well i can tell back. you this uh when private then this is in the booklet as well when private school ep came out um we got our uh, the whole band got one copy each and nothing else and i think there's about three or five hundred pressed so i went to a and a records on granville street and i bought three more so yeah. i bought three of my own records yeah i mean you used to get one copy and that's it yeah. you're out the door but uh i mean you have to think that back then, the big music machine, the the radio stations, the corporate sort of rock stations, they didn't want to have anything to do with punk. I mean, God bless CITR, and here we are sitting here in this nice control room with Nardwar, 
and it's still happening. I mean, there's still resistance. Yeah. Thank God for UBC and CITR. Thank you, CITR. Yes. And winding up here, thank you, Jason Flowers, Supreme Echo. Yay! Shout out to Jason Flowers. Jason, could thank you, you please Jason. explain one thank more you, time? Nardwar. We have had private school in the studio today. Yes, we have. We played a bit of Flames. We the did. Flames, not related to your reissue, etc. But you have found private school. Are you going through the Vancouver complication record on picking out bands? Because last time no, it I'm was not. Wasted Lives. It's this true. This time is private school. Okay. What's next? Witches Hammer! Yeah! I'll be back. I can't wait for that one. And I have a cassette, a rare cassette. You sure do. How rare is that cassette that I have? When you sent me the scam, I don't, like, there's no, nothing on the internet looks that crystal clear. Nobody even knows what the cover looks like. I now know what the cover looks like. I mean, because you have that tape. It's rare, and that's going to be a very interesting story to tell. Yeah. And right coming up, you have a band with a lot of mustaches in it, don't you? You're releasing a band. Plan Nine. They have oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only. You you got to look at those tight jeans they're wearing. There's all kinds of funny things going on in those pictures. And you <laughs> love the mustaches, like Twitch, etc. You love mustache rock. Like your label <laughs> Mustache is not... punk. Were there any mustaches in... Private school. Private there school. was. I had a mustache when I joined because I was coming from the jazz world, right? And, and disco. And we all had mustaches. And Ron said to me one day, he said... Uh, you got to lose the mustache. <laughs> Baboom. And this is coming up on Supreme Echo, the band Plan 9, who are not a Misfits tribute band. They are not at all. Are you going to have trouble marketing that? I don't think so. I don't think so. It's such an unknown oddball one. Really, these other releases that are known are going to really be what promotes that one. It's the Supreme Echo logo that is going to make it sell because there's a reputation attached to it. But that's a really special band. It's a bunch of guys from Toronto that moved to Calgary and formed a band. It's literally a transplant. And it doesn't really sound like anything. I mean, I hear Devo in it a bit, but... It's an odd one. It's not really punk. It's kind of like the modern minds doing punk. It's not really punk. Yeah, the it? modern minds are not punk at all. I mean, it's it's Moberg doing great, great power pop. But a special band you have released onto the unsuspecting Vancouver public is Private, private School. School. And yeah. the reissue of Private School is out now. Jason, one more last time. People can get... So tomorrow we're going to be at Neptune Records between 1 p.m. and 2 p- uh, 2.30. Maybe we'll stay a bit longer. Uh, the, it's going to be the best price you'll ever find the record... Uh, the double record at and then that evening you can also follow up and party down with us we're going to be at what's up hot dog on east hastings from 8 p.m onwards right now we are going to end with the worst record ever in vancouver's history again this was in a package that i got from ken lester and it actually was in a private school folder Amazing. printed by Dave Gregg yeah. and actually probably laid out by Ron Nelson. Yep, and it's, uh, it's uh, the packaging it came in is definitely a Dave Gregg. And we th- we know the band is called Ayatollah, but is that Dave Gregg on the record, do you it, think? It's, it's the, the height is correct. Um, blindfolded, and he's got a, something else on his head, so it's kind of hard to say. So Ken Lester's choice of the worst record ever from Vancouver, totally undocumented, <laughs> which we're going to play right now. Anything For the else first to- time ever live. It's hand-labeled. It looks really weird. Yeah. Anything else to add, Walt, about private school? Well, it was a quick flash. Uh, it, it all happened so quickly and ended very quickly, and, uh, but it, it was really uh, great to be part of the scene and, uh, 
from its sort of onset and and just the way you know the whole scene um, came about uh, it was uh, ma- a magical time in Vancouver and what about you Jamie yeah I agree it uh, there, there's uh, at the time it was uh, there was so much going on that we didn't really didn't all sink in what was happening and you got recorded uh, we did this EP and then the EP was out and then uh, there were so many other bands and so many other musical directions. Everybody in, in private school uh, was a true musician, and it was only natural that uh, we went on to do other great musical things. Why should people care about private school? Why should people care? Because it was good. It, the music was great. It's unique. It, it really stands out. You can even read, there's a great review, which we've reproduced in the booklet, where it just, in that early, those, those first steps of the punk scene, I just think it's, it's a bit of an anomaly, a, a good anomaly. And a shout out to a young Dave Gregg. I just loved playing with that guy. I mean, he was such a nice guy. He was in, he was in love with Jimi Hendrix, and you know, he he was a happy-go-lucky guy. And it's it's a shame we don't have him here anymore. But uh, yep. it was always great to see Dave, even years later. Um, it was there was a groove happening there, and it, he was a sixteen-year-old little guitar phenom. Yep. Well, well, thank you, Jason and Supreme Echo, for making this Vancouver thank nugget of it. What is the actual retail price of this online? Uh, if people don't get the reissue, the original goes for how much? Oh, the the original is upwards of 300 US. I don't know what. It's a pretty stable at about 300 US. What do you think? Is yeah. that about right? Yeah. yeah this is a double seven inch. Uh, it should top out at about $20. It was an expensive package to create. So right now, we're going to play something totally unrelated to private school. This is Ayatollah, the worst record ever made in Vancouver, according to Ken Lester, who sold me this record, which was in a private school envelope on an Ardoir the Human Serviette radio show. Of course, yes. And doo-doo-loo-doo. Doo-doo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 